say about me? I appreciate that, Caleb. I think it's kind of fitting with uh, who you all are, uh, the name of your congregation, and really how I've been treated by you all and how Renovation Church has been treated by this church over the years. Uh, you may or may not know this, uh, but uh, when we started our church in 2013, uh, Grace Life was very supportive financially, prayerfully, relationally through Derek, and just just wanted to express my thanks on behalf of the church for your for your regular, ongoing support of what we were doing in North Syracuse. And also just to think a little bit, like to think that this year we planted uh, our uh, our first church plant across town into Baldensville, New York. So think about how you folks came alongside us in 2013 and invested in us and trusted God for the work that we were trying to accomplish in that place. And now... Uh, even that support and that effort led to another church being planted in, in the Syracuse, New York area. So thank you. Uh, your investment surely has sown seeds across this region. And so I just want to thank God for you and, and appreciate, again, just the gracious way that you've treated me. And even now, uh, I don't know how much of an encouragement I've really been, Caleb, You know, I, but I uh, appreciate those uh, encouraging words. We've all needed it the last couple of years, right? So... Uh, praise God that in some way I was used to be a blessing to him. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've already been introduced. I'll say that enough has been said about that. So I'm going to throw out a question this morning as we get started. I want you to think about kind of shapes and frames the whole message this morning. Here's the question. What day significantly defines the way that you live today? I'll say it again because maybe it's a little clunky. What day or days significantly define the way you live today? Maybe throw out a few examples. Maybe it was the day that you said, I do. Maybe that changed significantly the way that you live today. Maybe it was the day you earned a major promotion at work. Maybe it was the day you welcomed a child into your family. August 18th this year, we're about to say goodbye as our oldest is going to college for the first time. I feel like that day is going to significantly impact my life. Probably in ways I don't want to admit. I'm going to miss her. Was it the day you heard and responded to the gospel? Do you remember that day? Was it the day you heard you had cancer? Or maybe the day you found out that someone you loved had passed away? Maybe even thinking historically, was it August 6, 1991? I don't know if you know what happened on August 6, 1991. It was the first day that the World Wide Web was made publicly accessible. You think that day significantly changed the way we live? Was it September 11, 2001? Was it March 15, 2020? We heard of this pandemic and went into lockdown. Those kinds of days expected or not, have a way of defining the way we live, have a way of defining who we are and what life is like. 
Typically, when you ask a question like that, what days define the way you live today? We usually think about it in the past. Our mind immediately goes to some event or something that occurred in the past. But I wonder if there's a future day that defines us. And today I want to point us to a future event, a future day that should define the way we live in the present. And that day is the day of the return of Jesus. That day should define the way we live in the present. A couple questions maybe to consider as we look at the passage this morning is this. When will His return take place? More importantly, we'll see today, how should we live now, given the way that Jesus will return? Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. Grab your Bibles, follow along with me. Matthew 24, 36 through 51. I want to read this for you. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples. If you know Matthew 24 and 25, it's part of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is responding to a question of the disciples. In verse 3 of 24, he says, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus has been answering this question. Chapter 24 will continue to do so in 25. So here we are at the end of chapter 24. And he says this. Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be this coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake for you do not know On what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known. In what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake. It would not have left his house. I'm sorry. It would not have let his house. Been broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the son of man is coming. At an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, 
there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here. We pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that the word of Christ would be in our ear, would change the way that we live. Do a work in us by your spirit, we pray. Christ's name. Amen. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to answer the question, when will Jesus come? I don't know if you know this, but uh, in the second, third century, a Roman clergyman calculated that Jesus would return in A.D. 500. Somehow his prediction was based on the measurements of Noah's Ark. Interesting. Also in the Middle Ages, Pope Innocent III took the number 618, which was the year that Islam was founded. And he added the number 666 to it, the mark of the beast, that number, right? To get 1284 as the year that Christ will return in final judgment. 1284. On February 14th, 1835, Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Mormon church, as I'm sure you know, announced that Jesus would return within 56 years. What is that, 1891? Well, that never happened. In 1988, Wizenant Edgar wrote the book 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988. Four million copies of that book were sold. Four million copies. To give one final example, Harold Camping, maybe you've heard his word, uh, uh, heard, heard his name, predicted the end of the world. He advertised in, on his 55 radio stations and on 6,000 billboards, Judgment Day is coming, May 21st, 2011. And then when it didn't happen, he unapologetically just simply adjusted his date to this, October 21st, 2011. That was the date that Jesus would return. People have been trying to answer this question for centuries. When will Jesus return? But as we read the passage, Jesus already gave us the answer to this question. We have absolutely no idea when he's going to come back. No one knows the day or the hour Jesus told us. So any kind of speculation about when is absolute silliness. It's out of step with what Jesus says. Jesus said it in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. There's some things that we can know for certain. We can know for sure. One, Jesus came. Amen. Amen. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again victoriously. Amen? These are things that we know for certain. And also, we can add to that list that Jesus will surely, certainly return. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus is returning. He said it at the end of the book of Revelation. He said, surely, no with certainty, 
You can bet the farm on it. I am coming soon. Jesus is certainly coming soon. But know this, it's at an unknown time. We don't know when. We don't know when. He says it, verse 36, he says it again, verse 42. Therefore stay awake. Why? For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. When is Jesus coming back? We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus will certainly return at an unknown time. Let's just simplify that and leave that there. That's the timing of his return. We just don't know. So the days in which we live are similar to the days of Noah. That's what Jesus says. Verses 37 through 41. Goes on to say, For as is the day of days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days the Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. These days are just like the days of Noah. People living their life completely unaware of the soon and imminent return of Jesus Christ. They're living without reference to that day when He will return. They're living as if they were unaware of its reality. They're just going about their business. They're just living ordinary life. Marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking. As if this day would never come. Tell me we don't live in a day like that today. People living without reference to the return of Jesus. People living unaware of the judgment that will come when He returns. Even 40 and 41 highlight this. Right? They're in the field, working their jobs, living out their ordinary existence, doing what they always do without reference to a coming Lord in His judgment. And so, we see two men in the field. One taken, one left. Two women grinding at the mill. One taken and one left. All highlight this unexpected people living without reference to the return of Jesus as if it's never going to come. So we see that Jesus' return is not about speculation of timing. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up into these things. Is this it? Is that it? Is He coming soon? All that like reading the signs, watching Fox News, trying to figure out if this is it. We can get so lost in speculation and miss out on what Jesus' number one priority is for His church given His imminent return. And that is the way that they live. The second coming is not something to just be 
debated and speculated about in reference to timing. But the second coming of Jesus is something that should motivate us to live in a particular way to prepare for his coming. Amen? He cares about the way we live. That's what Jesus' primary concern is. That's what he's been teaching his disciples in chapter 24 and will continue to teach in chapter 25. Are you ready for his return? Look at what he goes on to say. He says, therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. Verse 44, therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not respect. I'm sorry, you do not expect. So are you ready? Are you awake? Is your life reflective of preparedness for the soon and certain coming of Jesus? That's what this passage is all about. It's about our lives. It's about being ready. That Jesus, in a very pastoral tone with his disciples, is telling them, always be ready for the soon and certain return. My coming. And so he says that to us today. Always be ready. Always be prepared for my soon and certain return. Makes a lot of sense, right? That we would be called by Jesus to stay awake and to be prepared and ready. Because when we know something super important is about to happen, or super significant is about to happen, but we don't know exactly when it will happen, it puts us on high alert. We stand ready in those kinds of moments. I make fun of myself a little bit, maybe. In high school, uh, I, I married my high school sweetheart. We met 28 years ago. It's kind of crazy. November 9th, 94 is when we started dating, okay? And one immediate fringe benefit of dating this woman is I got to ride in her brother's car on the way to school. I did not have to ride the bus. Amen. So, But I was one of those people that, like, if you told me you were going to be there at a certain time, or if I could reverse engineer, we got to be to school by A12, then I would be standing in the driveway at a certain point, ready to hop in the car. I'm one of those people. Raise your hand if you're one of those kind of people that's super concerned, like to be punctual is to be 20 minutes early. Right? My dad says, if I'm not going to be early, I'm not going. I'm like, Dad, you can just be on time, right? But in his mind, if you're not 20 minutes early... You, you've missed it. So I would wake up early. I'd, I'd be frantic. I'd have my lunch in my bag, get my books ready. I'd be out looking out the window at first. Are they here yet? You know. And then as a, they're a little bit late, because that's kind of how their family was, a little bit late. I, I'd be out in the garage kind of tapping my feet, you know, kind of biting my fingernails a little bit. And they'd come flying through, and they'd always make fun of me, like, why are you waiting in the driveway? It's like, Cause it's time to go. Right? I know you're coming because I know you're responsible human beings and you don't want detention and you don't want to miss practice after school. So I know we're going to get to school, but I have no idea when you're going to get here. And it brings me a lot of anxiety 
but it put me on high alert. That's how I live. I live on high alert all the time. I'm one of those people, right? When we don't know what's going to happen, but we know something super important is going to take place, it puts us on high alert, right? He goes on to tell us in 43 and 44, imagine the master of a house, the owner of a house, knowing that a thief was coming in the middle of the night. He didn't know when, but he knew the thief was coming. Wouldn't he stay awake? Wouldn't he be on high alert? He wouldn't let his house be broken into. He'd protect his family. He'd protect his property. He'd be looking out the window. He'd be ready. He'd be on high alert because he doesn't know when Jesus or when when the robber is coming. And doesn't Paul compare the coming of Jesus to be like a thief in the night? First Thessalonians five two, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Unexpected time. We stand awake. He says, be fully aware. Be ready. Be on high alert. Some of us approach living in this day with kind of a nonchalant approach. But Jesus is calling his disciples. He's calling us to live without a nonchalant approach to his return. David Turner says this, Disciples must not take up a nonchalant lifestyle that is inconsistent with Jesus' unexpected coming. This certain event, this soon imminent event, the return of Jesus, takes away any notion of us to live kind of laissez-faire, nonchalant, whatever. In some ways, we have a type A personality as a believer. Focused, ready, alert in the way that we live. My kids make fun of my wife and I all the time. Why does everything have to be so intentional? I'm like, I don't know, actually. I think we have a problem. But in some ways, I think for many of us, we've lost all sense of preparedness, readiness, intentionality, focus on the, a day that is fast approaching at a time that we do not know when our Lord returns in all of His glory. How does that reality change the way that you live today? Jesus says, always be ready. This passage says, always be ready for the soon and certain return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready this morning? And the question is, how can we know if we are? Well, He goes on to tell us, Verses 45 through 51. He goes on in a parable, which will be where he goes, right? Jesus has already taught in parables in Matthew. He'll continue to teach in parables over the next chapter. 
And here he gives us a parable where he contrasts a faithful and wise servant and a wicked servant. And that contrast highlights for us a way in which we are ready for his return. And from this parable we see that being ready means that we give ourselves to the faithful service of our master. That we're continually giving ourselves over to the faithful serving of the master of the house. Right? You see this this contrast that the faithful and wise servants are those who know who their master is. They understand what has been entrusted to them. They receive their call with humility and they embrace the call with responsibility. And they live their lives in a way that stewards what the master has entrusted to them. They know that what they receive has been given over to them for the glory of the master. Their whole existence is for the master and caring for others in the house of the master. Meaning it's not about themselves. It's for the master and for caring for those in the house of the master. And they do this. They go about the business of the master in the hope of the blessing of the master. And when the master returns... They are blessed and they're rewarded and we see they are promoted in his service. That's what verses 45 through 47 articulate. So understand this, that the faithful and wise servant is ready for the return of Jesus because they are always about the business, the work and the mission of Jesus in this world. And so is that you today? Does that characterize your life? And again, I'm not pushing for a works-based righteousness that if you work hard for Jesus, in the end, He'll accept you. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to be very careful about that. But what this is saying is that those who have truly received the grace of our Lord Jesus, those who have been transformed by it, are those who get at the work of the Master in this life. It's the result of having received a righteousness from God. Amen? Very important distinction. But he goes on to show the wicked servant as well. And you see the contrast. Because the wicked servant is not ready for the return of the master of the house. The wicked servant is assuming this delay, this infinite delay. Oh, he's never coming back. And if he does, it's way far off. It's not anytime soon. And the wicked servants, out of their selfishness and their lack of care for the, for the, for the people of the house, begin to mistreat them. They abuse them. They, they, they mistreat those who are vulnerable. He takes the master's resources and he misuses them. He uses them for his own pleasure, for his own passions that are sinful. And he does this all without reference to his master's return. 
And then all of a sudden the master returns unexpectedly. And he finds the wicked servant unfaithful. And not only does he forfeit this promotion, but he's punished and judged horrifically. I mean, the language of dismemberment seems harsh. The language of being rejected and cast aside seems harsh. And in this moment, we understand that Christ, when he returns, will come to judge the wicked. As uncomfortable as a doctrine as it is, it is an orthodox understanding of what Jesus will do when he returns. And that is a motivator for us to awake from our slumber. Because Jesus will return to bless those who are faithful and wise. And Jesus will return to curse those who are wicked to judgment. This parable points us to the blessing and it warns us of the perils of being unprepared. So believer, continue to ready yourself for the return of Jesus. Give yourself to His faithful and hopeful service. Spend your life for the priorities of the the Master. Give yourself to the service of the Master Do not spend what He has given to you on your own pleasures, sinful desires and passions. Give yourself to the service of the Master and specifically to serve those who are of His household. Namely, the church. And of course, the people of this world as well. Again, Jesus is less concerned To give clarity to his disciples about the timing of his return. But how they should live in light of his return. Do you think about these things? Oh, disciple, hear these words. Always be ready. For the soon and certain return of Jesus. Give yourself... To the faithful service of the master. That's what this passage is teaching. I couldn't help but think outside of this passage to some degree. In terms of application. Of ways to remain ready for the return of Jesus. Outside of Matthew 24-25. There's also other passages and scriptures that actually anchor our living in light of the second coming of Christ. I think those passages as well point us down a, a clear pathway to preparedness. It helps us be ready for the return of Jesus. In many ways, it is laying out for us the priorities of the kingdom so that we can be ready for the return of our Lord. First of all, I think the larger narrative of Scripture calls us that because of the Lord's return, we should be about the pursuit of our personal holiness. We want to strive, dependent on the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit, feasting upon the Word to greater 
or in, in greater ways conform to the image of Christ. Pursue our sanctification in faithful obedience. Hebrews 12.14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you know the great hope of Christ's return? First John talks about it. Right? When we see him, we will be like him. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about, Christian? There will be a day where you will stand before Christ, and though you don't see him now, you will visibly see him in all of his glory. My grandmother died about 15 months ago. And I will never forget what she said to me on her deathbed. Just physically done, but mentally so sharp. Such a sharp follower of Jesus. And I was looking into her eyes and she said to me, why are you looking into my eyes? I said, because I want to see you. As a grandson, I didn't want to see all this, to be honest. I wanted to see you. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about eyes. I said, why? She said, well, fully aware that her days were drawing near. The end of her days was drawing near. She said, I can't imagine looking into Jesus' eyes. I can't fathom a more beautiful sight. Friends, that's our hope. As these days waste away and as that day draws near, that is the great hope that we will see the Lord with our own eyes. And there will be no more beautiful sight than we have ever seen than to fix our eyes on Christ. But understand this, what we will see in all of its beauty, in all of its glory, is His holiness. And this life is a preparation, an increasing of, a conformity to, a transformation into holiness. Because without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So the day when we see the Lord, His second coming, calls us to a pursuit of holiness in this life. Are you prepared for the return by always pursuing holiness? Not perfection. Not that there's not grace when we fall and fumble and, and, and sin. Amen. There is an abundant grace for us in Christ as we struggle with the flesh in this life. But this day calls us to an intentional pursuit of holiness, does it not? Are there areas of your life where you've grown nonchalant? Maybe the Spirit of God is working on your heart today. Second thing is this. Because of the return of Jesus, we live on mission. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one must receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be a day where we will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And there are people in your life that don't understand that that day is coming. And what does Paul say he does? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what does he do? 
persuade others. And so knowing this day is coming calls us to a life of mission, to a life of evangelism. People in our life do not know Jesus. They're living as if the days of Noah are taking place without reference to the coming judgment. And if they don't know and embrace Jesus as Savior, they will be swept away. Knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade others, amen? The return of Jesus calls us to a life of mission. The return of Jesus, number three, calls us to a life of regular exhortation in the body of Christ. A rhythm of constant encouragement with other believers. Because the deceitfulness of sin can so easily cause us to fall away. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, take care, brothers. Lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Say what? Every day. As long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's called today. You see, today is the day in which we live. And it's all a preparation of the day. When Jesus will return. And last, I think for sure that the return of Jesus and and our hope and expectation for that, that we share together as a local expression of the body of Christ, inspires us to continually, regularly, weekly gather for corporate worship. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Tell me we do not live in a day and age where believers are in the habit of not meeting regularly together, specifically on the Lord's day, to worship Him. As an expression of our true Sabbath rest. He's saying, don't do that. Don't give up meeting together. He's saying, structure your life. Around Sunday, make a commitment to feast upon the preached word, to gather with the local assembly as the body of Christ, to anticipate the glories of heaven together, to sing, to pray, to receive from the Lord's table. Don't give up meeting together and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of his return. The return of Jesus calls us to gather for weekly worship. Amen? I'm telling you now, at the the very least, if we are pursuing holiness, dependent on the Spirit, feasting upon the Word, the context of community, we don't do this in isolation. We do this together and in dependence upon the Lord because we're weak. We pursue holiness. We live on mission. We're evangelistically driven. We exhort one another every day. And on that day called Sunday, we gather together in anticipation of the great hope of that Jesus will return someday. If we live into these priorities together, we are being made ready. We are living awake. We are on high alert as the people of God. And so I ask your 
today. Evaluate your life and your heart. Are these constant priorities for you? If they are not priorities for you, and you find yourself given over to the, just the ordinariness of life, the eating and the drinking, the marrying and giving in marriage without reference, I'm telling you, I wonder if you're ready. Are you ready? If you're not giving yourself over to these things, are you ready for the return of Jesus? I asked it when I started. What day significantly defines the way you live today? It's my hope that now we will all say, together as God's people, the day that Jesus returns. The day that Jesus returns defines the way I live today. Not just a past event, but a future event. Just like the cross. Tell me there's not a day. The day that Jesus died at at Golgotha hasn't defined the way you live. The day that Jesus rose from the grave victoriously over Satan, sin, and death. Tell me that has not defined the way that you live. And also the second coming. Is there more to our life than Christ, His person, His work, And his final victory over all of our enemies. What else defines us than him? I think that's what Martin Luther was getting at. When he said this. Preach and live. As if Jesus was crucified yesterday. Rose from the dead today. And is returning tomorrow. Do those days define your life? Are you so closely connected to that work of Jesus that it defines the way you live? Hear this today. Jesus is calling us to be ready. Always be ready for the soon and certain return of Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. An intense word for us today, but a caring word. It points us to blessing. It points us to preparedness. It calls us to a life of faithful service to Christ. Lord, we need your spirit. We humbly confess that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves, that we need the strength because this life can weary us. We can be distracted. We can get discouraged. We pray your spirit would fill us. I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't has never placed their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection, I pray that they would turn to Him in faith even now. That they would claim, uh, cling to Him by faith. That they would receive the assurance of His love and salvation this morning. But I pray for every believer here that has been living nonchalant, that you would call them to awake. To rise from their slumber. And to give themselves to your priorities. Lord, prepare us and preserve us. 
for the day that you will return. It is our blessed hope. It is our joy. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.